Genesis chapter 45 and verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Chapter 50, verse 18 says, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. This is just a sermon for Black History Month. Would you say that after me, please? A sermon for Black History Month. Please be seated. About 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, Moses traveled to Midian, a place in the southern section of the Fertile Crescent. In Midian, Moses married a dark-skinned Midianite woman and worked for and lived with her father, Jethro. Numbers 12 and 1 indicate that Jethro and his daughter were Ethiopian people. Numbers 12 and 1 says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. He just couldn't help himself. <clears throat> and Numbers 12 and 9 says, And the anger of God was kindled against Miriam and Aaron, who spoke against the woman that Moses had married. Verse 10 says, And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon her, and behold, she was leprous. Miriam and Aaron were Moses' brother and sister. Moses would later ask his brother-in-law, Hobab, to join with the Israelites. We find that in Numbers 10, 29. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Raquel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we're journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord had spoken good, or hath spoken good, concerning Israel. 400 years later, Moses would marry a dark-skinned Egyptian woman from North Africa. Or Joseph, I beg your pardon, would marry a dark-skinned Egyptian woman from North Africa. Then almost a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ, the Queen of Sheba, 
Sheba was also known as Cush or Ethiopia. She visited Solomon. She came from Africa with many camels, spices, gold, precious stones. Her nation and her culture had obviously existed and flourished long before that time. And then the Ethiopian Pianki established the 24th Egyptian dynasty. And at least four Ethiopian kings ruled over Egypt, the nation of Egypt, from 730 B.C. until 656 B.C. Great nations, great civilizations, great cultures existed in Africa centuries before Jesus Christ was born. One of the greatest generals of all time was a man by the name of Hannibal from Carthage in North Africa. He frequently defied and defeated Rome, that great world power, between the year 219 and 203 B.C. In 1498 A.D., <clears throat> Portuguese explorers wrote that they found along the East African coast tall stone towns of comfort and wealth. He found people who were highly civilized and skilled in the use of the compass and in reading charts. In 1518, mention is made of the city of Timbuktu in West Sudan, a magnificent city where merchants made greater profit from the sale of books than from the sale of any other commodity. In the area of art, in the areas of science, in the areas of medicine, government, law, culture, and so on, certain of the nations of Africa were competitive with, and in many cases, more advanced than the nations of the world during that period. All of this was devastated by the slave trade, by slavery, and by colonialism. William Banks gives us the following report in his book, The Black Church in the U.S. Nearly 20 million Negroes were made captive over the span of some 300 years, from 1517 to 1840. A more conservative estimate is that it was 14 million who were made captive. They were jammed and crammed into ships like sardines in a can and brought across the Atlantic from the Gulf of Guinea to the New World in a trip called the Middle Passage. It's estimated that perhaps 12 million landed in Latin America and South America. About 2 million were brought to the United States. What happened to the other millions? Some died resisting capture. Some died in captivity while being held in Africa, waiting to be shipped out. Some committed suicide by eating clay and dirt and other noxious elements, trying to kill themselves. Some who were beaten and were too weak to continue the trek in the convoy to the harbor were abandoned to die. Most of the loss of life came during the Middle Passage 
perhaps not more than half of the slaves that were shipped from Africa ever really arrived and worked in the New World. Shackled in irons, they huddled beneath the decks for 16 hours at a time. The heat was unbearable. The filth, the stench, they barely survived on stale, spoiled food and stagnant water. It took several weeks to make it to the mainland. And the slaves were given only a few moments a day on deck for fresh air and for exercise. If the weather was bad, they received neither fresh air nor did they receive exercise. Many died at sea from dysentery, smallpox, other diseases. As I've said, some starved themselves to die, refusing, starved themselves to death, refusing to eat. Some committed suicide by jumping into the ocean. Others rebelled, especially those who were warriors taken in battle, and often these were beaten or shot to death. Some died soon after reaching American soil. A meaningful study would be to inquire what was the impact of the loss of 15 to 20 million of its inhabitants in Africa. How many died trying to defend their families and their friends from violence associated with the capture of those who were to become slaves? And then after the slave trade came the horrible period of colonialism during which European and Mediterranean invaders did to Africa's resources what those before them had done to Africa's people. What is the value of the people who were taken out of Africa? What is the value of the resources that were taken from Africa? Even after the abolition of slavery, black people experienced one humiliating, dehumanizing devastation after another. But with all we went through, we still produced Benjamin Banneker, almanac writer, maker of the first American-made clock. We produced Sojourner Truth, George Washington Carver, Charles Drew, pioneer in blood plasma research, Benjamin O. Davis, Thurgood Marshall, Ralph Bunch, Booker T. Washington, Marian Anderson, and a host of others rose above their oppression to gain excellence. We produced Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Colin Powell and Barack Obama. And we produce you by the grace of Almighty God. But can we all take this a little bit further and examine the relationship between the black church and the continent of Africa with Jesus Christ and the Christian church? Because of their concern for the life and safety of the babe Jesus, Mary and Joseph were warned to go and find a place of refuge. And it was in Egypt, in North Africa, that Mary and, Mary and Joseph carried the babe Jesus during his infancy for safety, to escape the wrath of Herod. And then during the dark day of his crucifixion, his own people were condemning him crying out for his death. Europe, representing by the Roman centurion, drove nails into the hands and feet of Jesus and 
brutally pierced Jesus in the side. But Africa, represented by Simon of Cyrene, stepped forth when everybody else was stepping back. And he shared history's most significant moment with the Christ. He bore the cross of Jesus Christ up to Calvary. That's in Matthew 27 and 32. And that reminds us that if Jesus Christ needed help with his cross, he understands when you need help with your cross. Hallelujah. I'm sure that he understands when our crosses are too heavy for us to bear. But don't throw your cross aside. Just ask Jesus to help you with your cross. One would think that the privilege of bearing the cross of Jesus Christ would have been reserved for Simon Peter or for the Apostle John or for some other apostle. But God chose black hands and woolly hair to perform an act and render a service that all the truly great and truly wise men of all history would have been supremely honored to share and to perform that of bearing the cross of Jesus Christ. And then, after the gospel was first preached to the Jews, and then it was preached to the Samaritans who were of mixed Jewish stock, Philip was divinely summoned to a desert place where the Ethiopian secretary of the treasury was to pass in his chariot. Before Peter was sent to the Italians in Caesarea, before Paul began his diligent missionary efforts in Eastern and Midwestern Europe, this Ethiopian nobleman heard and believed the gospel. And after being baptized, he went back to Ethiopia to form the Abyssinian church that exists until this day. He was the first Gentile of record to accept Jesus Christ. The first Gentile, the first non-Jew to be saved and to establish the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's praise God for that. May I take it a little bit further? The historian Dean Millman has said that it was Africa, not Rome, that gave birth to Latin Christianity. Africa gave the church three among its greatest leaders and great scholars. Augustine, Tertullian, Cyprian were all born in northern Africa. In the city of Carthage where puny and Nubian blood mixed and produced one of the ancient world's most civilized and ancient civilizations. The African Tertullian made Latin Christianity ethical. The African Augustine made probably the greatest contribution to Western Christian theology other than the Bible. And the African, where is this here? Cyprian, there he is, was the church's authority in all matters of law and ecclesiastical procedure. Any person who would reject Christianity because he felt it was a white man's religion is mistaken and unaware. I said anybody who would reject Christianity because they felt it was a white man's religion is mistaken and unaware. Black men had the privilege of being among the first leaders and participants in the Pentecostal or charismatic revival that started in the early 
1900s and now sweeps across our country and across our world. The historian Vincent Sinan says that Charles F. Parham, a white man, and William J. Seymour, a black man, share roughly equal positions as the founders of modern Pentecostalism. Parham first emphasized Pentecostal doctrines in Baxter Springs, Kansas, and Seymour was the outstanding personality in bringing about the great, crucial Pentecostal revival called the Azusa Revival in the city of Los Angeles. From that revival, Pentecostalism spread across the nation and across the world. We're bringing the Assemblies of God in, the Four Square in. We're bringing the Church of God Cleveland in. We're bringing in the Church of God of Prophecy. All of them follow and trace their origins to William J. Seymour, who started that Pentecostal revival here at Azusa in the city of Los Angeles, California. Come on, give God some praise. One key man in that contagion was a man by the name of Charles Hassan Mason, a black man, and the father and founder and first senior bishop of the Church of God in Christ. Church of God in Christ was founded in 1897 as a holiness body, and in 1907, Elder Mason traveled to Seymour's revival in Los Angeles and received the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Other members of that denomination sought and received the experience, and the Church of God in Christ became the first legally incorporated Pentecostal body in the United States in all of history. We were the first. Sinan also points out that most of the white Pentecostal churches between 1907 and 1914 had no recognized Pentecostal body to represent them or to obtain, obtain their minister, ordain their ministers or to gain them admission to the clergy rates and clergy discounts that they had to have a credential to receive. Therefore, they were not authorized to perform marriages and certain other ministerial duties. They were unable to obtain reduced clergy rates on the railroads. And thousands of white ministers obtained ministerial credentials from Elder Mason and from the Church of God in Christ in the early 1907s, 1908, 1909. One group in Alabama and Texas received permission from Elder Mason to use the name Church of God in Christ in 1912. And this arrangement continued until 1914, when they organized and called their predominantly white denomination the Assemblies of God. All Assemblies of God ministers received Church of God in Christ credentials until 1914, when they, because of the racial situation in the South, began to separate themselves from us and establish the Assemblies of God Church. No, Christianity is not a white man's religion. I said, it's not a white man's religion, but neither is it a black man's religion. It's every man's religion. Hallelujah. The only hope, the only means for sanity and salvation in the world. So there are many parallels between the experience of black people and the experience of Joseph described in the words of our text. Joseph had visions. In one vision, his brother's sheaves bowed down to his. 
They were binding corn stalks and sheaves, and his brother's sheaves bowed down to the sheaf that he was binding. In another vision, the sun, moon, and the 11 stars did obeisance to him, showed reverence to him. And those visions that Joseph had sustained him in the midst of the adversity that he faced. He was envied. He was hated by his brothers, but he held on to the vision. He was sold into slavery, but he held on to the vision. The wife of his first slave master sought to seduce him, and when he would not be seduced, she sought to lie upon him and have him thrown in prison, but he held on to the vision. In prison, he was forgotten about, but he kept on holding on to the vision. Child of God, we have our vision, our destiny, our purpose in the word of God. I am what the Bible says I am. I've got what the Bible says I've got. I can do what the Bible says I can do. I'm going to hold on to that for the rest of my life. If the Bible says it, I can accomplish it. God has a vision for your life. God has a purpose for your life. You will be assailed and overwhelmed by so much that will come against you, but will you tell your neighbor, I'm going to hold on to my vision. Keep on reaching for it until you get it. Keep on holding on to it until it comes to pass in your life. Somehow, black people in slavery, hated, despised, abused, began to hold on even to the word of God. Some of them could not read it, but they had heard enough about it and heard enough about God and heard enough about Jesus that they knew they could make it, they could endure. So the reason they were able to endure was because they held on to the vision. They were able to endure because they knew things were going to get better after a while. They were able to hold on to the vision because they knew a change was on the way. So they held on to the vision. And Joseph held on to the vision. He was thrown in jail. But in jail, he not only held on to the vision, but he worked to help other folks' vision come to pass. He helped the butler in jail and told him, you're going to make it. It's going to be all right. He interpreted a dream for the baker in jail and told him, I'm sorry to tell you this, but set your house in order. You're not going to make it. The baker got out of jail and went back to work for the Pharaoh and forgot all about Joseph. But even though he was forgotten, Joseph still held on to the vision. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, sometimes it's going to seem that you are forgotten. But hold on to the vision and hold on to the word of God. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. If it had not been for the word, I would have perished in my affliction. And so, child of God, hold on to the word. Joseph had his vision, and his vision sustained him. And we've got to rely on God's word, and God's word will sustain us. But after a while, the Pharaoh had a dream, and he could not remember it or understand it. And the butler said, I remember my sin. I've forgotten someone that I promised I would not forget. And Joseph was brought out of the jailhouse, brought before the Pharaoh of the land. He interpreted the dream that the Pharaoh had had, and he told the Pharaoh what he needed to do. 
He said, Pharaoh, you're going to be in a seven years of plenty and things are going to grow and flourish. But at the end of that seven years, there's going to be a famine and everything is going to die. I'm encouraging you to store up during the seven years of plenty so that you'll have enough during the seven years of famine to provide for everybody. And the Pharaoh says, I have not found such wisdom among any of the wise men that are around me. Joseph, I'm going to put you in charge. You gather in during the seven years and you dispense during the next seven years. Joseph literally became the vice president of the land of Egypt. He was in charge. The famine that he had described even made its impact where Jacob and Joseph's 11 brothers and family was living. All the way from Canaan, they decided that I'm going to go over to Egypt because I've heard that Egypt has enough food for everybody. And so Jacob sent his sons to Egypt. They arrived there, and who would they come before? Dispensing all the goods of Egypt, except that same brother that they'd hated and they'd approved and they had misused in the past. In the same way as his brother sold him, our brothers in Africa sold us into slavery. They thought they could make it without us. They didn't care what was going to happen to us. And we endured terrible pain and slavery in the land of our captivity. But God let us go. God set us free. We came out of it in the name of Jesus. Not only did we come out of it, but we came out with our song. We came out with our shout. We came out with our faith intact. We came out trusting and relying upon Almighty God. We came out to the degree that our president, Barack Obama, is a black man. Hallelujah. Just like we are. Hold on to your dream. Individually, that can be your story. If you hold on, if you trust God, if you rely upon God, God can take you higher than you ever dreamed you could go. Look toward your neighbor and say, neighbor, hold on to your dream. God can take you higher than you ever know. Hallelujah. 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 Joseph knew who those brothers were. They had no idea who he was. And so he decided to have a little fun with them. He put food in bags, and then he put treasure in bags, and then he sent his soldiers behind them and said, you stole something. We're going to get you. They, he said, listen, bring my brother. I want to see my younger brother, Benjamin, and so bring him, or else I'm not going to give you anything else. And they had to bring Benjamin. But Joseph, after he played with them for a while, then decided he would let them know. And he said, brothers, you might not realize it, but years ago, you sold one of your brothers into slavery. You hated him. You tried to destroy him. And I just thought I'd let you know that I'm Joseph, your brother, 
whom you sold into slavery. Oh, bless the name of God. Bless the name of God. You tried to kill me, but God saved me for this moment. Don't hate yourself. Don't feel bad about yourself. Don't feel bad about what you've done. God used what you've done, the evil you did against me, to lift me to where I am again. I've just come to tell somebody in the house of God what you're going through may seem to be terrible, but God is going to use it for your good. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are called according to his purpose. Joseph said, brothers, I want to thank you for hating me because if you had not hated me, you would not have sold me. Thank you for selling me because if you had not sold me, Potiphar's wife would not have bought me. Thank you for selling me because if Potiphar's wife had not bought me, she would not have lied on me and had me thrown in slavery. Thank you because if I was not thrown in jail, I would not have been discovered by the butler and the baker. Thank you. If the baker butler had not forgotten about me, I would not have come before Pharaoh at a critical time. Thank you. You intended it for evil, but God intends it for good. Oh, bless the name of God. Evil may come upon you. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, evil may come upon you, but God's going to use it for your good. He prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Just as God preserved Joseph for a purpose, God has preserved you for a purpose. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, just as God preserved Joseph for a purpose, God has preserved you for a purpose. God's purpose for us is that we would not forget our black brothers and sisters on the continent of Africa. God's purpose for us is that we ought to reach back and lift them, reach back and help them. Our destiny is tied to their destiny. God intended the evil that came upon us for good. And we need to say, Lord, use us. Use us for your glory. Use us for your honor. Use us to bless somebody. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or with a song, if I can show somebody that they're traveling wrong, my living has not been in in vain. Child of God, God wants to use you. Don't worry about your weakness. Don't worry about your flaws. If God is in it, good things will come from it. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Tell your neighbor, hello, conqueror. Hallelujah. Paul said in Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ 
that strengthens me. Hallelujah. We've come this far by faith, but we've still got a long way to go. I don't know about you, but I'm on my way to victory. On my way to overcoming power. I'm on my way to doing the will of God. On my way higher, higher, higher. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. We've come this far. I said we've come this far. We've got a long way to go. I know there are many problems, so many difficulties, so many evil things are taking place, even in our community. But I don't believe he brought us this far to leave us. Would you tell your neighbor, neighbor, I don't believe he brought me thus far to leave me. My brightest days, my brightest days are still ahead. My greatest victories are still ahead. Child of God, hold on, hold on. There are many victories. There are many accomplishments. God still has in mind for you. God is not through with you yet. Tell your neighbor, God is not through with me yet. I'm on my way to victory. I'm on my way. And my prayer is, Lord, just like you blessed me, use me to bless somebody else. Use me to lift somebody else. Use me to encourage somebody else. Would you help me praise the Lord? Praise him. Praise him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. You brought us from a mighty long way. Thank you. You've been so good to us. Thank you. It's you that taught us. It's you that protected us. It's you that sustained us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Hallelujah. He that hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God started with us, the situation seemed so dark, so dreary, so pessimistic. But our God has brought us thus far. We've come this far by faith. I'm not going to be cynical and skeptical and feel that this is all there is to it, that it's over. Don't you know the God that did this can do that? I still see us in the future. And we look much better than we look right now. Child of God, hold on to your dream. Hold on to your vision. Whatever you believe God to do in your life is going to take place. God is going to do it. You've got to wait on him. You've got to trust him. You've got to give him time. They that wait upon the Lord 
shall renew their strength, mount upon wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Trust him. It may not come when you want him, but he'll be right on time. How many of you know he's an on-time God? Come on, tell three people the things that God has placed in my heart shall come to pass. Shall come to pass. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Life is in Jesus Christ. You know the reason I know God's going to do so much for you is because of what he's already done. He gave his son to die for your sins. That's how Jesus Christ arose from the dead. So you've got God's love on the one hand that he would give his son to die for you. Then you've got God's power on the other hand that that son who was graveyard dead would rise up from the dead. Say, I'm he that was dead and now I'm alive forevermore and I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. The God of all power that raised Jesus from the dead wants to be your God. He wants to be in you, working through you, his will and his glory, and blessing you. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. So I want to pray for somebody. I want to pray for somebody who does not know Jesus. I want to pray for somebody who, as you have heard the word of God today, began to analyze and to study and to think about your destiny and where you're trying to go in life and what you're trying to accomplish. And you began to understand that God is going to be essential if you're to get where you need to go. You're going to need God to make it. And you've decided, preacher, I want God to be in my life. I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I want to know that I'm on my way to heaven. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're here today and you say, preacher, as I think about my life, I've come to understand I need Jesus in my life. I need to walk in God's purpose for my life. And I need my sins forgiven. Yes, there is a great getting up morning on the way. I want to be prepared to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want forgiveness to be mine. And I want to see his face in peace. If that's you, I will pray for you right where you are. Right where you are, every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven right where you are. Jesus Christ can become your Lord and your Savior right where you are. You can be saved today. I'll pray for you right there. But I need to know that you desire prayer. If you would say, Preacher, I want to be saved, pray for me that Jesus Christ will come into my life. If you'll lift your hand, if you'll just raise your hand as your way of saying, Preacher, include me in the prayer. I want to be saved. I want to know that things are well between me and my Lord. Lift that hand, please, if that's you. This is your moment. You're here by divine appointment. The Lord brought you here to save you, to come into your heart, 
I don't know what you're going to confront this afternoon or even tomorrow, but I know right now you can be saved and forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Those hands are lifted. Those hands are lifted. Dear Lord, I pray for every uplifted hand. Thank you, dear Lord, that you brought those who've lifted their hands into your house today with purpose. You brought them here to fulfill your purpose and to forgive them and to save them. Do so, dear Lord, in the name of Jesus. Let them never, ever again be the same. Repeat, please, these words after me, dear Lord. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and for the wrong I've been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. And I thank you, Lord. I am forgiven. I thank you, Lord. I'm saved. I thank you, Lord. I have new life. Let's praise God, everybody. Come on, give him praise. It's done. 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 It's done.